When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome everyone to the Liverpool.com podcast. I am your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined by the Liverpool.com editor, Matt Addison, to continue our series of deep dives. And today we'll be looking at Jordan Henderson, who, Matt, I think is probably one of the most polarising figures in the Liverpool squad. And I'd argue that that's been a theme really ever since he arrived at the club. Um, maybe lessened a little bit when Liverpool won the Champions League, won the Premier League, and obviously Henderson won the Football Writers Player of the Year award but when Liverpool were champions. That was probably when his sort of stock was at its peak. But there's consistently been a, a chunk of the Liverpool fan base, which, you know, estimates on the size of that will vary, that have sort of been quite critical of Henderson. So, what do you make of the way he has been criticised by certain sections of the fan base? Because it, it has been pretty intense in some corners. Um, and also, where do you kind of stand in particular on, on kind of the debate that, that that goes on about his source of uh, his value, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few different aspects to it, isn't there? I think, firstly, you've got to have that kind of player within the squad in terms of a leadership point of view, a character point of view. I think, for example, James Milner is going to be a huge loss in terms of that side of things. So I think in terms of, of that, it's never really been in doubt. I think there's always been a bit of a question mark over the Liverpool midfield in terms of, you know, on the pitch under Jurgen Klopp, even when Liverpool have been at their peak, there's been questions of, well, they don't score goals. They're maybe not creative enough. They're a bit sort of in industrial rather than mm-hmm. kind of creative and, and flair players. I think Jordan sort of fits into to that category. Um, to, to be fair, I think a, a number of them do. I think, you know, as much as people have bemoaned the lack of Genie Wijnaldum, I think that was always something that he was kind of talked about as, as a functional player, not when he first came in, but obviously the, the performances that he put in. So I think you've got to assess, as we have done during this sort of series of, of podcasts, you've got to assess the Liverpool midfielders in the context of what they are there to do and, and their mm-hmm. function. And I think Jordan Henderson, probably up to this season, has been more than capable of, of doing that. We're going to come on to, to talk about sort of physically the levels that he's at and, and that sort of thing. I think, you know, he's he's more than good enough to have been in this Liverpool team for a number of years. I think this season we saw him relied on too much. I think the plan probably would have been for him to play less, but injuries and all the rest of it for the, the rest of, of the midfield options that Liverpool had or, or didn't have at that moment was a bit of an issue, I think, in terms of him being overplayed. So how do you assess him? I think, you know, of course, there have been better midfielders in Liverpool's history, but also there's probably not that many of them that you can can, can kind of say are, are absolute you know, levels above him. I think he's a really solid performer. I think he's a huge, you know, important part of, of the squad. I think he's got a big role to play moving forwards. But I think it would have been better this season and possibly the season before as well in terms of the volume of minutes that he played. It probably would have been the, the plan and the idea for that to kind of be reduced. And I think that's one of the biggest things in terms of not having signed a midfielder. 
you know, in the last couple of summers, it, it's kind of been not necessarily the, the lack of, of those players. It, it's more been the knock-on for the other players. They've had to play more. They've then got more injuries. I think if you've got, you know, a peak Jordan Henderson that maybe plays half the number of minutes, but plays those minutes to a higher standard, I think maybe then the uh, the perception of him is a little bit different. So I certainly rate him a lot more favourably than a lot of people seem to. But at the same time, I think for, for the next season, you want to see less of him ultimately because better players, younger players, fitter players have, have come in to take his place. Yeah, I think that's a uh, very balanced assessment. I mean, me, me personally, I was, um, you know, I had a huge admiration for uh, Henderson um, in, that, in those sort of 18, 19 and 19, 20 seasons, like a lot of fans did. Just because, um, you know, obviously he was, he was excellent on the pitch as well, but really just kind of, you know, embodied in a way the the mentality of that group as well, um, which was which was obviously incredible, and um, you know, huge respect for that. And I mean, in terms of what I mean about kind of the polarization aspect, you'll have a lot of fans who sort of say Henderson's the sort of the only captain for Liverpool who's, who's lifted the the Premier League, who's, who's lifted the Champions League as well. Um, but then, sort of, I think it's one of them, you know. Reminds me of Mounts at Chelsea a little bit. A lot of match-going fans are very uh, supportive of him. You know, there's, there was a banner that, that's been unveiled in support of him a couple of times um, in the stadium. But um, sort of online, there's a lot of... Um, and I'm not pronouncing a judgment either way in terms of which sort of take is more valid. But online, there is a lot of kind of hostility, I suppose. I mean, there was a poll by the Anfield Talk, which is quite a popular... Um, Sort of Twitter account for for Liverpool fans, thirty four thousand supporters voted, um, and only thirty four percent said Liverpool should keep Jordan Henderson for next season, which obviously means two thirds, give or take, said that they they would sell. Um, again, though, that that was at the end of January. That one's obviously Liverpool kind of a bit more in the doldrums than they are now. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, Matt, in the sense that the time sort of maybe maybe coming for Henderson a little bit to sort of drop out of that starting lineup. And and you touched on it there in terms of the physicality side of things and where Henderson's at athletically because watching him this season, he's just looked like he doesn't necessarily have the legs to sort of thrive in a in a Jurgen Klopp setup anymore. Um to the to the naked eye. So I thought it was interesting. I saw a stat from um Statsbomb this week. Um, kind of just rounding up the uh, the Premier League season as a whole, and one of the the things that jumped out to me was Henderson. It is sort of I think it was he's seventh in the Premier League across the season for possession adjusted pressures, um, which is basically a, a complex way of saying he, he pressed a lot r- relative to the amount that um, the opposition had the ball, um, and he's on the list with the like you know players like Mount, who's obviously renowned for that. Conor Gallagher too, um, a couple of Liverpool players on there in, in Elliot and Gakpo as well. Elliot's obviously being at the opposite end of his Liverpool career, so I suppose you, you could look at that and say, you know, I know he is still getting through a lot of work, an awful lot of running. We don't really have sort of distance covered numbers kind of freely available, but I mean that on its own would, would sort of suggest that he is um, sort of still doing all right physically. I mean. How do you see that, Matt? Do you, do you view Henderson as a player who is in decline, and and if you do, sort of how how extensive is his decline at this stage of his career? I think those those numbers are, are interesting, and I think we we know off the ball, 
know, his intelligence and his pressing, his ability to, to kind of lead that, I don't think really is is the issue. Um, I do think his his body naturally is is declining at this point in his career. He's not able to to maybe do that as intensely and, and certainly won't be in future. It is going to drop off. It's it's hard to to predict how much it is. I think that the bigger deficiencies for me more are, are on the ball. I think in the position that he's in within this new system, I think it's it's kind of exposed a little bit, you know, he, I think teams know that if Salah or Trent has the ball in those sorts of areas, you've got to press them and, and close them down. Whereas if Henderson's there, you, you may be a little bit happier for them to to keep hold of it. I think it might be the case that he becomes sort of more of a, a number six moving forwards and gives you an extra option there, particularly when you think of the players that Liverpool are looking at. I just think, you know, for, for me, obviously, the, the physical side of it is is certainly an aspect. But for me, the more obvious thing, I think, even before the, the change of system, but certainly now that we've seen that the position that he's occupying needs to be someone who can be a bit more creative, can score goals. I don't think, you know, you, you'd struggle to think next season that Jordan Henderson scores five goals, for example. Whereas I think if you plugged in Alexis McAllister or, you know, Mason Mount, I think would have been perfect and, and is you know, hopefully still an option for Liverpool. But it, it looks like Manchester United might be the, the favourites for him. I think if if you put in a player like that, you can maybe get similar sort of pressing stats and, uh, and off the ball numbers. But you can add in with that a bit more of an attacking threat. And I think, you know, whether that's someone that stays inside and, and breaks into the box, whether it's someone who goes outside of Salah when Salah moves inside, you know, which whichever way, you know, maybe they can do both. I just think there's there's an improvement, I think, to make in the, the final third in those positions because, you know, he's he's never been a player that has been particularly sort of creative or number 10 type player. He, he's kind of always been a little bit more conservative and that's fine, you know, within the, the sort of system that Liverpool used to have. But if they are going to make this a little bit more of an attacking player, I think there's got to be an improvement in the output. And, you know, maybe maybe a few years ago, Jordan Henderson could have changed and, and could have adapted his game. I think it's probably a little bit late in the day for that. I think he is what he is now. I don't think you can maybe teach that at this point in, in time. So I think that, for me, is, is the real obvious upgrade. When you look at the midfield, you look at the other options, I think you can maybe have a, a chat about Curtis Jones. I think he will have a, a big part to play next season. But, you know, will Liverpool bring someone in to, to challenge his position on the left-hand side? Probably yes. Hopefully yes. But I think for me, with with Henderson, I think, you know, McAllister, whoever else comes in, I think that's the most obvious upgrade that you can make just because mm -hmm. of you know, obviously the, the age of the player, but also, as I say, that the kind of goal threat that you get from Jordan Henderson just isn't particularly there. And I don't think it's necessarily fair to expect that to come from him either. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, it's one of them. You wouldn't necessarily criticise him for it. It's just not not his strengths, not his skill set. Obviously, Klopp had to sort of work with the, the players that he had available last year when he did change the system. Um, just in terms of the physical point, and we'll revisit the the new system and the tactics of that in a second. Um, I think one thing that it did sort of show up in, in terms of you know when the opposition has the ball and and Liverpool are pressing, you know maybe Henderson is kind of hunting the ball in in those sort of early phases. But it felt like a lot of the time. I mean, we talk about this issue of Liverpool's midfield getting bypassed too easily. I mean, it felt like a lot of the time Henderson was sort of left kind of in players' dust a little bit and. People have said that 
in Liverpool's prime, Henderson was sort of really effective at covering for Alexander Arnold, but we very rarely saw that. And and really, maybe you can go back further than last season in terms of how much he sort of carried out that role effectively. Um, so again, it, it was a role, I suppose, that relied a lot on Henderson's athleticism in terms of being able to get up there, support the attack, but also to sort of cover for Alexander Arnold, who obviously had a huge amount of attack and license. So I do wonder if, if that's sort of a factor with it too. But on the um, the new system side of things, obviously we've seen this move, Trent in this hybrid role now, basically a double pivot when Liverpool have the ball. And as a result of that, the right side at number eight has basically become an attacker midfielder, obviously still with defensive responsibilities. And that change of role is reflected in Henderson's numbers. So if you look at his touches in the final third, per 90 minutes before the game against Arsenal, where Liverpool first used this new system, it was 17.7 per 90. And then in the games after that, so from Arsenal until the end of the season, it went up to 31.7 per 90, which is obviously a huge increase, really. Um, however, as you sort of alluded to there, Matt, the end product from Henderson has been limited in terms of those goal contributions. That has He hasn't scored any goals in that role, and he's only managed one assist across 10 games in that new system. It feels like there is a lot of uh, potential there and and Henderson really is just kind of ill-equipped as we've touched on briefly already to um, to get the mo- most of it. So do you think it, it's a case of everyone at the club knows that a specialist kind of attacking midfielder is needed for that role? And we'll come on in a second, I suppose, to what that would mean for Henderson too in terms of where he might figure. Yeah, I think so. I think we've looked at all of the players that Liverpool have, have looked at. We know that, obviously, at the time of recording, they're very close to getting that deal with uh, Alexis McAllister confirmed. They've definitely looked at Mason Mount. We know that for sure. There's others as well that kind of fit into that more attacking profile. I think you can even look at, you know, further back, you think of, of Elliot and Carvalho and all sorts of players that they've bought that you think you're not quite sure where they fit in and suddenly it looks a little bit more likely that they can can slot into to these positions. I think I think that's the, the way that, that I would look at it. I think the, the role has, has just evolved and has changed into something that he can't necessarily offer, but others, as you say, could possibly do that. I think, you know, you look at, at the number of goals that Liverpool need to get next season. We know what Mohamed Salah can bring to the table, but I don't think we're quite sure of some of the other attackers. I think Luis Diaz is is an excellent footballer, but is he going to get you the same volume of goals as Sadio Mane, for example? Possibly, but we we've not seen that yet for you know a couple of different reasons, not least the fact that he missed a lot of last season through injury. Cody Gappo, I think, has has got goals in him certainly. You know, twenty goals, twenty assists for both of his clubs last season. Clearly, can get that output and we have seen that a little bit but he's not quite you know exploded in terms of the goal scoring and, and the creating for Liverpool just yet. Darwin Nunes is a bit of a, an unknown and, and Diogo Jota as, as good as he is did go a year without scoring a goal again partially through injuries partially through a bit of a lack of form so I think there's a bit of a question mark. Liverpool have, have got quality options they've got you know a, a good number of options in the attack but you know, it's, it's it's no bad thing, I think, to, to be start, starting to, to spread those goals into the midfield as well as, as the next sort of evolution of the team. Curtis Jones, you know, I wouldn't put it past him to get, you know, 10 goals, 10 assists next season. And I don't think that's that's unrealistic if he does stay injury-free. 
And then, like we've said, you know, the, the obvious other place for those goals to come from is is the right-sided attacking player, McAllister. Obviously, some some of the goals were, were penalties, but I think he, he's got into to double figures, didn't he, for, for goals for Brighton yeah. last season. You just think, you know, that, that there's an obvious upgrade there. Henderson's not going to do that. Somebody else might, and, and that might be the difference ultimately if if you've not got quite as many goals as what you did when you know Mane, Firmino and, and Salah were at the peak. You know, even Firmino I think had a, a 28 goal season, didn't he, in, in one of those years. If you're going to get slightly less from those forwards, maybe you have to, to kind of cover that in other areas. And I think the obvious positions really I still think there's more to come, even from you know Trent, there's more to come from the centre backs in terms of sort of set pieces and, and that sort of thing. But I think that right-sided attacking player is one where you can see basically no goals to 10 or 15 goals quite easily. And, and that could be you know, a massive, massive difference for Liverpool next season. Yeah, I think you make a, a great point on that one. I mean, the whole sort of scoring for midfield thing has been sort of lobbied really when Liverpool have had sticky bits of form and then kind of gone quiet. It's just, you know, it sort of ebbs and flows a little bit like that. Um, but it does feel like now there might be a more lasting change with it, just in the sense that, you know, like you say, this sort of Salamane Firmino era has obviously ended now. We don't know sort of how prolific the forwards are going to be. Are they going to be sort of, because, you know, like you say, with Salamane and Firmino, they were sort of right up there atop the goal charts. Maybe, you know, when you look at kind of Man City, even Arsenal, you know, they, they sort of push towards double figures, the forwards, but obviously with the exception of Harlem, they don't necessarily kind of get right up there. Um and they're both teams who rely sort of quite heavily on, on goals from midfield. I mean, Shaka got quite a few for Arsenal last season. Odegaard obviously got loads. Um, and then at City, you've got kind of uh, Gundogan and De Bruyne sort of filling that role. And maybe, you know, we've already seen Liverpool kind of adopt a sort of inverted fullback sort of set that those two teams have maybe as well. They'll sort of align with them in terms of that emphasis on, on goal scoring. And it certainly does feel like the sort of foundation is there now finally for Liverpool to after so long where the midfielders have been given quite a conservative role. Now maybe we could see a midfielder who is sort of a quite frequent goal scorer for the first time really since you'd say, you know, Steven Gerrard left and in terms of the amount the numbers that they could hit. So it is quite a watershed moment in that sense and maybe Henderson will be left behind by it a little bit. Um and on that, I think you mentioned it earlier, Matt, but a lot of talk about whether Henderson is now going to sort of drift back maybe towards that kind of backup number six role a lot. You know, it's been there in the background uh, for a while. If you look at it this season, he played, and this is kind of games where he's played sort of enough minutes within the match to kind of nail down his position. He, there was 31 appearances as a centre midfielder, so number eight, and only six as a defensive midfielder. So it would be quite a significant change in terms of um, his profile within the squad. Do you see him as someone who can kind of step in and, and replace Fabinho in that double pivot when needed because the whole defensive midfield situation and what that specific department is going to look like is a little bit up in the air right now. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that that's the only position he's going to play. I think I can definitely see a route to minutes in that position. As much as I've said that, you know, they could quite easily upgrade it in terms of, of the goals and assists. There are moments in games where you need to shut a game down if you've got a couple of goals up you could bring him on for the last half an hour and, and replace that more attacking creative player with him 
there's loads of, of competitions to play. You know, you could quite easily see him playing that role in the Europa League and maybe he does get a couple of goals in there because Liverpool are playing teams that they don't necessarily have to play a first-choice eleven to be able to go and, and win in those matches. So there are going to be minutes for him further up the pitch, but I just think in terms of the, the sort of squad position that Liverpool are in now, there's a few unknowns. I think Stefan Bajetic is a little bit of an unknown in terms of quite where he's going to be. We'll get you know a decent idea, I think, in pre-season of what the plan is for, for him. We'll probably get a decent idea as well with Henderson in terms of where he's sort of positioned in in matches, um, in friendlies that, that Liverpool play. But I think that's... To, to kind of split it between sort of number eight a little bit, but probably not too often from the start, more from the bench, and maybe as a six, if... It, if the game is right, if the, the sort of position that Liverpool finds them themselves in is is right for that sort of thing, I think you can kind of see that. And it, it, it's almost, I've heard a few people say it, it's kind of like he becomes the new Milner type thing. I don't think it's quite that because I can't necessarily see him playing at fullback all that often, um, you know, particularly with the, the skill set that Trent has got. I think there's, there's a possibility that you could maybe play him there, but I don't think it would come naturally. You definitely won't be seeing him at left back for a season, for example. I think he's he's kind of James Milnery in a few ways, but maybe not quite so versatile. But in the positions that he can play, I think there should be you know a bit of a, a spread of minutes. And I think for for him, it's just a case of you know I think his his workload will reduce because Liverpool are getting more players in, and the younger lads are another year older and another year of, of experience under the belt. But you know the, the, there will be loads of minutes for him to get somewhere. It, it's just more a case of is it you know half an hour off the bench rather than playing the first sixty? I think you know mm. we, we've seen quite a lot. He's one that started and, and been took off this season. Yeah, maybe it's the other way around next season. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, and I think the the Milner point's interesting. I mean, on the versatility side of things, I think um, Josh Williams wrote for, uh, for for our site that. Henderson could maybe play that kind of um, inverted fullback role um, when when Trent's not able to, which is an interesting shout. You just wonder as well if you know it, it is to be in that double pivot. You'd feel like he would maybe more have to be alongside um, alongside Fabinho rather than Trent, just in terms of is there enough kind of ball winning in there? Um, otherwise, because you do really need to have that sort of quite firm counterweight if you're going to play someone alongside Trent there just because the amount of freedom he still has I think um, so it's going to be interesting how that one works out and yeah the Milner role I think is significant as well in terms of you know he's, he has lost his vice captain now and it, it's going to augment I suppose the importance of his leadership not just in a game situation but also kind of on the training ground day to day and I think Milner's probably biggest value was in terms of setting that culture so that probably makes Henderson even more important now that he's lost kind of his his right hand man and he has to really kind of um, grow even further in that sense. And some people would sort of scoff at that, but you know it, it is crucial in terms of the the atmosphere within a squad. You'd have to say. Um, so let's think if you're saying he's sort of unlikely to to start a lot of games in the um, attack and eight role. Maybe coming off the bench more in that. Um, maybe splitting his minutes with sort of defensive midfield duties too. What what kind of volume of football do we think of next season? I mean, I think one interesting way of of getting into this is, I mean, if we look at his minutes, so he's played over two thousand five hundred last season, which ranked him second among the club's midfielders. Fabinho was was first, a long way ahead 
on 3,500, which in itself says about maybe the over-reliance on him for the number six role. But Harvey Elliott wasn't too far behind um, Henderson, interestingly, on nearly 2,300. Do we think that there's going to be kind of... Uh, do we think that's going to flip now? Is next season going to see Elliott play more minutes than Henderson in all likelihood? And, and if that happens, are we thinking that's maybe a symbolic sign of sort of out with the old, in with the new? Yeah, I mean, Elliot's an, an interesting one because we don't quite know who they're going to bring in and where he fits in with that. Are we going to see with one less forward, with Firmino not being there, do we see him play maybe a little bit further forward? If not as a nine, then probably off the right in the place of, of Salah. So it's kind of hard to, to assess, I think, in comparison to him. And it's it's hard to assess, I think, in terms of the midfield as well because you look at the midfield minutes that a number of the players that I saw a tweet before, I can't remember the exact sort of makeup of it, but it basically said Alexis McAllister played more minutes last season than about five Liverpool midfielders put together, which that kind of makes it hard to, to think that, you know, yes, Milner could be replaced by Henderson, but maybe you can replace Milner, Arthur, you know, Cater, Oxlade-Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's kind of four out and, and one in because yeah. you'd imagine that, you know, that the minutes can kind of be taken on. There wasn't that many of them for, for the players that are leaving. So it, it's hard to, to put an exact number on it. But yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Elliot's minutes went up even further next season. Um, Henderson's will drop down a little bit, but I don't think it's it's going to drop, you know, hugely because I think there will be, you know, that there will be certain games, there will be, you know, various competitions, there will be injuries in the midfield, even if they bring players in. Yeah. There might be a little bit of a, a betting in period where, you know, maybe Henderson plays the first half of next season while somebody else gets used to the role. And, you know, the, the further the season goes on, the more that the kind of, you know, more expected number of minutes would would take place. So I suppose the, the easiest way of, of saying it is I think his, his number of minutes will and should reduce relatively significantly maybe you know a 25 percent decrease or something like that but it's not going to be a case of his his role isn't there anymore or you know he doesn't get these opportunities there will be plenty of minutes for him it's just a case really of managing it in the best way i mean like i said all the way back at the start of this i think the the boat the best way to get the best out of henderson is to play him a little bit less i think if you've got half an hour of him where he can put everything in give you all of the intensity, make sure that the standards don't drop. I think that's got to be, you know, preferential to him playing 70 mm-hmm. minutes midweek and then thinking in his head, you know, I've got to play again at, at half 12 on Saturday because we've got nobody else. I think when you've got more of these options, you kind of get a better version of him as a result. And obviously he's not the only one, but he's the one that we're, we're talking about on this podcast. So I think ideally you'd see less of Henderson but quite how much less. I suppose it, it just depends on so many different factors. It, it's quite hard to, to say. Yeah, I think one thing that counts in his favour is that his biggest fan is probably the, the man in the dugout, really. Um, the man who I think was probably instrumental in getting him a four-year contract extension a couple of years ago. And it wouldn't surprise me. And I think it would probably great on a lot of people if this happened, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was in the team at the start of the season as a bit of that kind of continuity player just as sort of, you know, if it, if Liverpool are going to sign kind of a sort of 21, 22-year-old um, player to, to fulfil that role who maybe doesn't have a huge amount of experience and I don't think it would be too big a shock to see Henderson favoured early on just while that transition takes place. So that, that's another aspect of it as well. Um, but one thing we, we've done to finish with all of our deep dives really is sort of consider the long-term future for the players we're looking at. Like I mentioned just then, Henderson 
is two years into a four-year contract. So normally at that stage, that's when you start to, as a club, think about a renewal for a player. There's a lot of talk, for example, about Trent Alexander-Arnold getting a new contract this summer. Probably top of the agenda for the club. His deal expires at the same time as Henderson. So maybe telling in a way that there isn't really any noise about a new deal for Henderson. I mean, it's a bit, it's one of them, Matt, isn't it? Where he'll be, I mean, how old would he be? Will he sort of 33, 34 at the time when, when that deal expires? It is going to be a bit of a dilemma for Liverpool, that one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we've seen it with Milner where he's had 12-month extensions and it's kind of come down to to him to a certain extent. I know he would have preferred to have stayed probably this summer rather than, than moved on and, and felt that there might have been a bit more of a role for him. But to some extent, it's kind of just been, if you want to stay another 12 months, you can, or if you want to move on and, and get more minutes elsewhere and, and finish your career, maybe where you're going to have a more substantial role, maybe that's the, the way of looking at it. But I don't know that there is, you know, there's a, what, a five-year age gap between Henderson and, and Milner. It's it's not like the, the moment of this is the end of the line for you at Liverpool and we think it's the right time for you to move on. I don't think that would necessarily have arrived in a couple of years' time. I think I'd probably expect him to get an extension to some point, but I think, you know, as much as he won't like to admit it or, or think about it, there's, there's going to have to be an acceptance that his role may decrease or or change. It, it might be that he becomes the the kind of... the the elder statesman within the group who kind of has to, to do some of the other stuff a bit more and has to, to kind of, you know, let younger, uh, more long-term prospects take a bit more of, of the limelight. But I don't know, it, it kind of comes down to, to him, doesn't it? It depends on what other offers he's got, what his plan is. He has been at Liverpool for a long time now, and, and that might be, you know, he's happy here for the rest of his career and he'll happily sort of wind down at Liverpool or, you know, it might be the case that he wants to, to go and experience something else. And I'm sure if that was the case or if there was any hint of, of that being the case, there'd be you know plenty of offers from elsewhere to go and play more minutes, maybe in a, a less demanding league where he could kind of continue to, to have that more substantial role on the pitch. But I think it kind of comes down to him. I think I'd like to, to see him stay around. I think, you know, you'd look at some of the other experienced players that Liverpool have got, you know, particularly in midfield, I'd be, you know, there's, there's an interesting conversation, I think, to be had around Thiago, for example, next summer in terms of his contract. Milner's already gone. You know, you've got you've got to strike the balance, I think, between not having an ageing group, but also having enough experience and know-how to be able to, to guide these young players. It's not the case that you can just get rid of, you know, a James Milner at one end and suddenly Harvey Elliott takes that on because he's younger and he can run more. You know, there's got to be a little bit of a balance, I think, in terms of, of that squad. So, yeah, you're right, there is a dilemma, but I think I'd be surprised if, you know, there wasn't a kind of idea of maybe a one or two year deal and, and then reassess it. I think with Milner as well, it was the case that his salary reduced a couple of times when he, he signed up to, to these extra contracts. Yeah. There might be a conversation around that if, you know, Liverpool were, were looking at wages and, and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, the, there's still a huge amount of value that Jordan Henderson offers and it it wouldn't be sentimental to keep him around. I don't think it was. There was a little bit of criticism when, you know, you, you mentioned the four-year deal that he signed. I, I think there's a lot more to it than that. It's not just a case of, you know, what he's done in the past or his position as captain or, or whatever else. I think, you know, there is still a huge amount of value that he offers the team. But at the same time, there's got to be an acceptance that that will sort of decrease as his career comes to an end. 
Yeah, definitely. And um, he obviously knows his own value. He'll have his own ambitions. And like you say, they might extend beyond Liverpool. I mean, what's interesting is you. I, I was looking at sort of the midfield targets earlier and, and the list of players who might go after after Alexis McAllister. Um, obviously, McAllister 24 years old, but the list was, you know, I think it was Toram, uh, Kone, Gravenberg, um, Lavia and, and Vega. And I think they were sort of anywhere between 19 and 22. So you look at that group and you think if, if Liverpool if sign two more midfielders and they come from that group, that, that's a young crop of midfielders coming in. And in a strange way, that makes Fabinho, Thiago and Henderson more valuable, even though they might play less minutes, just in terms of, like you say, Matt, you know, we do want to lower the age profile of the squad. We want a much younger squad, but we also need the kind of... Um, the experience, that kind of uh, leadership, that presence in there as well, just to have the healthy balance. Maybe the balance has been too skewed towards the latter in recent times, but um, Liverpool need to kind of find that healthy medium, I suppose. But yeah, I think we'll leave it there um, for this episode. Um, thanks very much, Matt, for joining me. We'll be back next week with another podcast, so make sure to join us then. But yeah, we'll see you next time. Listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.